Well, good day, everyone. Uh, it's uh, good to be in God's Word together. It's um, always sad not to be actually physically gathered together, but uh, the Word of God is powerful, and so it's great to um, uh, gather around that. Uh, as you know, we've finished Matthew's Gospel last term, and as you heard uh, from Jill, next term we're moving into 1 Corinthians, which will be fantastic. Uh, we thought for the next couple of weeks it would be really good to um, do a, a short series for the holidays, and we're doing it on Romans. So we're looking at Romans chapter 8 just for the next two weeks, and uh, wonderful chapters uh, that give us a real understanding of what life in this world is like, what we should expect, um, but also give us great um, hope for the future. And so a great thing to be looking at together now. So let's uh, pray together as we get into that word. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, that we can call you Father. Uh, we thank you so much that you speak to us in your word. Uh, we thank you that you give us clarity uh, around life in this world and that you give us hope for the world to come. Uh, please this morning, Lord, open those realities further to us. Help us to see things clearly. Help our hope to be stirred and help it to impact our life day by day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I've found um, over the last month, I've uh, checked my news app each day, I don't know, 20 times more than I normally would. I just, maybe it's something weird with me, uh, OCD, but I don't think so. I think everyone's doing it. I think everyone's checking their app heaps uh, or however you get it, you know, Twitter, podcasts, news feeds, um, however you get it. And I know that to be the case because actually news subscriptions have gone through the roof. have gone up massively. And uh, the top podcast in Australia is the ABC's um, Coronacast because everyone wants to know a couple of things. Um, and the two things are these. And I'll do it in reverse order. The number two thing that we really want to know about is this. What's present reality? What's going on at the moment so that I can live my life in light of present reality? Now, what are the current restrictions so I can know what I can do and what I can't do and so do the things I should be doing and make the most of my time while not breaking the law? What's the economic impacts that are taking place so that I can order my finances rightly in light of the current situation? What's going on with my job? Will I have a job? What will it mean for my daughter's HSC? Will she be doing it next year as well? What's going to are there cheap university courses really on offer? Should I be doing one of those and retraining? Not me, maybe someone else. Um, am I going to be stuck at home for such a long time that I really should be thinking of investing in some fitness equipment for my home? Should I be buying chickens and setting up a veggie patch and bunkering? We want to understand what's, what's present reality, what's going on in the current circumstances so that we can get our lives in sync and make the most of present reality. I, th I think that's the second thing that people want to know as they're flipping through their news feeds. But I think that the number one thing that we're looking for is this. Is there hope? Is there hope? What's the end game with this thing? Is there a cure coming? Or second best, is there a treatment coming? And if there's not, how long are we going to be in isolation? And what sort of isolation? How strict is the isolation going to be? If we went stricter, could we shut things down to such an extent that we eradicate the virus? But then what happens if people bring it in from other countries? Do we shut the borders? What does that mean for trade? What does that mean for the economy? Or should we do a long, drawn-out social isolation restrictions and slowly let more and more people get it so that we get herd immunity? Now, does that even work? Is there another path? Now, there's no easy answers. These things are bumping around in the media all the time. But the big thing we want to know is, is there hope? Is there a better future coming? Because we need hope, don't we? We need a better future. It's a deeply ingrained human impulse. 
uh, we need to know there is a better future coming. We need both these things as humans. What is present reality? What's going on now so I can live rightly and step with it? And I need a better future to be coming. Now, that's what our passage does for us this morning. It deals with both those things, not limited to a pandemic, but far bigger in scope. The pandemic is huge for us currently, but it's going to be one of those things that comes and goes and kids in the future, you know, we'll be telling our grandkids about, oh, I remember the time when back. But this passage is epic in scope. It goes back to the beginnings of the universe and it stretches forward to the end of the universe as we know it. And in doing so, it gives a clear understanding to us of present realities that we have to live in now in this era. And it gives us a sure and certain hope for the future. Firstly, present reality. What's the present reality that's pictured in this passage? Well, it's captured by a single word and the word is groaning. The word comes up three times in this passage. Have a look with me. Grab your Bibles. Verse 22. The creation, that is the universe that God has created, groans as in the pains of childbirth. Verse 23. Not only so... But Christians also, along with the universe, groan. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit praying on behalf of Christians groans, groaning, groaning, groaning. Life in this world is pictured as groaning. Now, that's a graphic word, isn't it? Groaning. It's a word that pictures deep inner anguish and turmoil or deep and desperate pain that forces its way out uh, in a in a wordless grunting cry, when you can't even utter words because things are so bad and painful, you you groan. That's the era in which we live according to this passage, even for Christians, groaning. There's a bunch of other words used there to convey the same reality. Um, and the words are things like verse 17, sufferings. Verse 18, sufferings. Verse 20, uh, frustration. Verse 21, slavery to decay. What's the present reality for human beings in this world, including for God's people, Christians? Suffering, frustration, slavery, decay, groaning. Now, this is something we need to grasp, and it's important we grasp this reality as it is, uncensored, unfiltered. As we've heard over the last number of weeks, the Bible is not an airy-fairy book for uh, people with easy lives, who never have any worries, who just skip through the roses. No, no, no. The Bible is for real people in the real world. It paints a picture of the world as it actually is and it helps us to live in a real way in the real world. The Bible is raw and earthy and real and recognises reality and helps us recognise reality and helps us know how to live in reality. Um, One of the things that over the years has increasingly strengthened my belief in the Bible is that it makes sense of this world. It makes sense of my life. It makes sense of the universe in which we live. It makes sense of a whole bunch of things. It's not the primary reason I believe, but it's one of the things that confirms constantly my belief more and more. Before I was a Christian, I I stumbled around um, life not really knowing what it was about, but with a view of the world that was cobbled together from what my parents thought, what my friends thought, what TV taught me, and it was confused and inconsistent and I barely understood reality at all. And I was so out of step with reality, I didn't know that I was out of step with reality. And then I became a Christian, I started reading the Bible, and suddenly there was growing clarity. The Bible explains why things are the way they are. 
The Bible makes sense of the world in which I live and deals with reality and reminds me of reality and helps me understand reality. It it arms us for life. Forewarned is forearmed. So if I raise my kids to grow up thinking that life is skipping from one lovely experience to the next with no problems whatsoever, by the time they leave home, if that's how they think, I've done a terrible disservice to my kids. How are they going to cope in the real world? But if I raise them to understand present reality in a world where there is groaning, as best I can prepare them for the difficulties and sufferings and frustrations and groanings that will come their way, then they're in far better shape to be resilient and set up to live life in the real world. That's what the Bible does for us. Recognises reality, explains how it is, teaches us how to live in step with us. But this passage is primarily about something more wonderful than present reality, something more wonderful than groaning. It's actually about future hope. Not wishful thinking type hope, but sure, certain, solid hope. It's about confidence in a future that is definitely coming. And again, there's one word in this passage that that captures up the future that is coming for God's people. You can see it in verse 17. Christians will share in Christ's glory. Verse 18, the sufferings of Christians now are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in them. Verse 21, the creation we brought into the freedom and glory of God's children. Verse 30, Christians are glorified. Glory, glory, glory. The key and overriding focus of this passage is the glory that is to come. Yes, present reality is an era of groaning and we need to understand that clearly. But even more wonderful in this passage is the hope of glory that is coming beyond. And again, other words than glory are used to to share the same um, hope of a wonderful future. Words like, verse 21, liberation. Verse 21, freedom. Verse 22, giving birth to a new creation. Verse 23, the fullness of the harvest. Verse 23, being adopted. Verse 23, redemption of our bodies, an incredible future. Hope of the future. That's the key thing in our passage. Something we desperately need to hear about and be reminded about in our sufferings, in our anxieties, in the difficulties of this life. We need them both. Clear understanding of present reality groaning, but also the hope of a glorious and wonderful future glory. Two key ideas in this passage and both are intimately tied together. Groaning to glory. Groaning first, glory later. Now in this passage that's about both groaning and glory, it's spoken about in two key spheres, two key spheres that are tied together. And the first key sphere is this, the groaning and glory of God's creation. The groaning and glory of God's creation. Firstly, the groaning. There's something wrong with the world. In fact, there's something wrong with the universe and you can see it there in verse 20. The creation, it says, was subject to frustration. The creation, that is everything that God has created, which is the assertion of the Bible is there is one God who rules over all things and has created everything that is. He's the creator. He rules it. He owns it. He's made all of it. He is the only eternally existent thing. 
the only eternally existent being. And everything that exists has come from him. He has created it out of nothing. Now, if you've never heard that before, that is (laughs) mind-blowing. Now, you can discuss the mechanisms by which God created things, but it sidetracks. What is really incredible is the who of creation, God. God created all things, which means there is a creation, not just the world or nature or mother nature or the universe or the environment, but the creation, which reminds us there is a creator and everything else is the created, including us. And this creation includes everything that you could imagine. You cast your mind to beautiful places. Last year we went to the Blue Mountains for just a couple of days, looking out over those incredible valleys and, and mountains and the mist coming through and the sun. Our beautiful Central Coast beaches, the creatures that live in the depths of the sea, the organisms that can only be seen with a microscope, atoms, quarks, things smaller, the kings and presidents of the world, the average man, the average woman, God made it all, God made you. God made the universe, the distant galaxies and black holes and stars and planets and the nebulae that are never going to be seen by human eyes. The spiritual world, the unseen world, the capacity for inner experience and thought and emotion, the spiritual realities of angels and the demonic and all created by God and for God. Beautiful, good complex, wonderful, diverse and breathtaking. But verse 20 says something terrible has happened to the whole creation. This beautiful, wonderful, good creation, something cataclysmic has taken place. Something so devastatingly destructive that every part of this beautiful creation was damaged, broken, fallen. This cataclysmic event is worse than World War I. How cataclysmic was world? Worse than World War II. Worse than the corona pandemic, no matter how bad it gets. Worse than the bubonic plague. Worse than the worst natural disasters you could possibly imagine. Because this cataclysmic event is the root of all other tragedies and disasters and cataclysmic events. And this cataclysmic event was so terribly destructive that its impact has exploded out across all lands and continents and creatures from the tiniest unseen virus to the great largest uh, mammal across all lands, across all oceans, across all of space and across time. A cataclysmic event beyond all cataclysmic events. Verse 20, creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it. And the will of the one who subjected it can only be in this context, the creator, God, the Lord Almighty. In response to human rebellion against him, God has subjected creation to frustration. That's the cataclysmic event. When humanity rebelled against God, sought to throw off his rule and rule themselves, and the just judgment of God upon them was so damaging it shattered the entire universe in every part from that moment till now. The creation was subjected to frustration by God, handed over into slavery to frustration. Now the word frustration there is the same word from chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, in fact from right through Ecclesiastes. We had chapter 1 read for us um, before and it's a word that, that means frustration, futility, 
meaninglessness, vanity. The universe has been frustrated from its purpose. The purpose of the universe has been made futile to some degree. It no longer achieves the purpose for which it was designed. It's frustrated from that purpose, the purpose of bringing unhindered glory to God. And because we are born into this universe and experience life here, our life is one of frustration and futility and a struggle to find meaning as well, which is what the book of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with. Where is meaning to be found apart from God? Everything we pursue in this life either eludes us or worse, we get it and then it doesn't satisfy in the way that we thought and wished it would. And eventually death is going to come and steal away everything that we have. And so it robs all our daily uh, things that we're trying to uh, amass, satisfactions we're trying to gain of meaning, futility and frustration. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. And it's picked up here in that word. The creation no longer achieves the purpose for which it was designed. It's frustrated from that purpose the purpose of forever bringing absolute glory to God unhindered. And now instead, look towards the end of verse 21, now instead it's in bondage to decay, slavery to decay. Everything is dying. Everything is rotting. Everything is falling apart. Everything is broken. Everything is fallen from its original purpose, design and beauty which is why we live in a world of suffering and frustration and slavery to decay. And this explains the world that I live in. Doesn't it explain the world in which you live? Beautiful, but broken. Beautiful because it's created by the beautiful and wise God, but broken because it's been subjected by God to frustration, fallen from its original beauty and design and unhindered purpose. That's the world I live in. Such amazing and beautiful things, such amazing and beautiful sights and sounds and and tastes and emotions and experiences and relationships, but none of them as you want them to be. All of them in some way falling or fading or failing or dying. When I'm down at the beach, we're trying to go for an isolation, exercise, swim in the afternoons, get down to the beach. When I'm down at the beach in the Arvos, it's hard not to see the beauty of God's creation especially in these beautiful days that we've been having. But if you're sitting beside the bed of a loved one who is dying from coronavirus, unable to breathe, it's hard to not see the incredible brokenness of God's creation. Beauty and wonder everywhere, but pain and death everywhere as well. You see the lovely YouTube of the wolfhound and the rabbit snuggling in together and you think, oh, that is so beautiful. Predator and prey just snuggling up and then, They realise they're predator and prey and the wolfhound snaps its head off. Broken world. This is reality. We live in an era of creation groaning. And you can try to bury your head in the sand and say, no, 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 Graham, you're you're over the top. There's no problem with our world. But it's actually to deny reality. Our dog does that. Our dog doesn't want to be put out at night into its kennel. It wants to stay inside. And so when you come to put it out, it turns its head away and closes its eyes because it thinks... If I can't see it, it's not real. If I can deny it, it won't happen. But we're not dogs. (laughs) We need to face reality as it actually is. Um, You can think the world is pretty good if you've grown up without much suffering in a fairly wealthy country 
with lots of good experiences, but when someone you love dies, everything within you screams, this world is not right, and we need this clarity for our present reality. Our world is subject to frustration decay, and God is the one who is subject it in judgment for our rebellion against him, which shows how seriously he takes the crime that we have committed. But God has done this. It's not outside his control with a plan and a purpose and a plan and a purpose far more wonderful than we could possibly imagine. And it's there in the last two words of verse 20. See them there? God has done this, verse 20, in hope. God has subjected the creation to frustration in hope. And the hope is, verse 21, that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That glory would follow groaning. Right back at the beginning, when God subjected to creation to frustration as a judgment upon the sin of humankind, recording in Genesis 3, God did it in hope. God did it with an incredible future in mind. God did it, Genesis 3.15, knowing that he would send one who would liberate creation from this slavery. And that's what's promised here. Liberation, freedom from slavery to death and decay. The chains that are binding creation into death and decay will be struck off and creation will no longer be frustrated from its purpose. It will be brought into the glory and the freedom of God's children. That's what the future holds. That's the Christian hope. A totally renewed universe, a cosmic hope. The Christian Christianity is not, oh, I need something to make my life a little bit better, something that's going to help my lifestyle and get it together. No, no, no. Christianity is the promise of the liberation from slavery of the entire universe and all that is in it the transformation of all things to perfection. Have a look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's our experience now. We live in a creation that in its entirety is groaning like a woman in the pains of childbirth. You don't want to point it out to the woman while she's in childbirth, but she's groaning in agony. That's creation now. Fires, floods, cyclones, droughts, earthquakes, viruses, cancer, sicknesses, disease, environmental destruction, war, murder, predator killing prey. The created order is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. But the thing about the image the Apostle Paul, the writer, doesn't even need to spell out is the pains of childbirth lead to childbirth, a new life, a new creation. The whole purpose of God is that creation would groan in the pains of childbirth so that at the right time, a glorious new creation would be born, a new world, a new universe out of this world so that this world is so renewed and transformed, it's a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation with no disorder or ruin or frustration and no death and no decay. This is the hope of Christians, that the whole creation will move from groaning to glory. That's the first sphere in which we see the groaning and the glory play out, the sphere of creation. 
But there's a second sphere, even closer to home, in which there is groaning glory. And that is the groaning and glory of God's children. There's not just the groaning and glory of creation, but there's the groaning and glory of Christians. Um, Just as the whole creation groans, we groan too. We live in this present area of sufferings. And, And it is talking specifically to Christians here. So it's possible to think, if I'm a child of the King, if I'm a Christian, a loved son of God, then surely I won't suffer in this age like other people will suffer. But Paul intentionally writes here to let Christians know present reality, to let them know that they will not be exempt from suffering. And he particularly, I think, needs to do it because the first eight chapters of Romans, he's been outlining all the wonderful blessings that Christians have in their Christian life. And here he wants to make clear, but we still live in the age of suffering. Christians will still get viruses and cancer and be in car accidents and have those they love die. They'll still experience the consequences of wrong choices and the darkness of depression and difficulty and despair and suffering. Christians are not immune from the common sufferings of living in this fallen world as fallen people. And in fact, Christians are also going to experience additional sufferings, sufferings that are unique to Christians. There's a couple. The first is Christians will experience the sufferings of struggling with temptation. What happens is when someone becomes a Christian, their heart is so profoundly changed that they now want to obey God and seek to obey God in all things. But that's a struggle to do because they're fighting against, struggling against impulses, fallen impulses that want them to do wrong things, the world's way of doing things, the temptations of Satan. Fighting temptation as a Christian is painful. It's suffering. Doing what is right as a Christian, regardless of personal cost, is painful. It's suffering. Giving up things for yourself in order to love God and love others is painful. It's suffering. That's a suffering that Christians experience that's unique to them. Another that's unique to them is the experience of the pressure, rejection, persecution, hostility of living in a world that doesn't love God like they do. Christians in many places throughout history have lost their lives, lost their livelihoods because they follow Jesus. Now with us in our society, in our time, it's not as intense, but there is still rejection coldness, mockery, distance because we follow Christ as king. And so Christians groan inwardly, verse 23, while we wait for the age to come. Christians will suffer. There will be groaning and there will be groaning for all human beings. And as humans, we can think our world and our lives are normal. But reality is it's not normal. It's horrible. It's not right. It's just we've grown and got used to it. Imagine this, it's a bit of a ridiculous illustration. Imagine the current isolation intensifies. It gets totally shut down. We're not allowed to leave our homes. I'm not allowed to go to the beach for my exercise, swim in the afternoon. We're not allowed to go and visit other people in any any way possible. Not allowed to go to work. Over time, what happens is we work out ways where everyone can work from home, where people with, I don't know, little bubble suits can go around delivering things. Somehow, We work out how to exist as a society in isolation for the next 20 years. I told it's ridiculous. The next 20 years. We have children who grow up in this world of isolation and over time they've never experienced anything different, never left the home, done everything through online activities, done, and they think it's normal. They think that's what this world, that's normal for this world. And in fact they focus on the good things and they think it's pretty good. But it's not normal. It's limited. It's anemic. It's a frustrated existence. That's us in this world. 
It's like we've been born into isolation. In fact, no, no, it's worse. It's like we've been born into prison. No, it's like we have been born on death row in prison. But it's all we've ever known. And we think it's normal. We think this fallen world is what life was meant to be like. And we focus on the good and the beautiful things in creation, of which there are many because God has made it. But the world and humanity is in slavery to decay. We're dying. 80 to 100 years on this planet is not normal. Disease and sickness is not normal. The evil that humans do to one another and to God is not normal. The inwardness and selfishness of human beings is not normal. The tragedies and disasters are not normal. Oh, it's normal for this world, but it's not as it should be. And, and it should cry out to us, our world has been subjected to frustration by God in judgment and in mercy so that we might see these things and turn back to him. When I was a, a young kid, I don't know, six, seven, something like that, we had this... Um, thing called a Kamado pot at our house, which was a big urn type thing, like a, like a ceramic Weber. And uh, you, you could open the top up and stick your chooks on the grate in the top and down the bottom you'd have your coals and your little fire going and it'd slow cook your chooks um, over a long period of time. Huge ceramic urn type thing. One day as a kid, I'm swinging on it, I'm swinging on it and, and whoosh, fell over, shattered. 50 pieces of ceramic urn on the ground. I knew I was in a lot of trouble. When my dad came home, I bolted and up the back, up the monkey bars, tried to get away from him, and, and I was in trouble. But later on, my dad put it back together. Fun, fun jigsaw puzzle. He, he put it back together with ceramic, um, some sort of ceramic glue and, and put it all back together, and it sat there for the next 20 years in our house, this ugly pieced together Kamado pot where you could see all the filled cracks and whenever you cooked something in it, it tasted like chemicals. That's our world, a shattered version of what it was, held together and bearing some similarity to what was shattered by the goodness of God but fallen, destroyed, shattered, broken, in slavery to decay, groaning, not achieving the purpose for which it was designed and the vastness of the judgment of God shows how serious he considers our crime. That's the fate of humanity. But there's a future hope. There's a future glory. See verse 23? Not only is the whole creation groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. Christians who, because of Jesus, are now the sons of God, wait till Jesus returns and when he does, we will receive the full adoption to sonship, the full rights of sons, the, the inheritance of sons, the recognition of sons to all, by all. Christians who have been redeemed by Jesus, that is, Jesus has paid the ransom to buy us back to God and the ransom was his blood. Jesus who has redeemed us will one day return And when he does, he will resurrect our bodies so that our redemption will be in all its fullness. We'll have perfected bodies and we'll no longer sin. Christians, verse 23 says, have, because of Jesus, have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. But one day when Jesus returns, he will give us the full harvest of the Holy Spirit. We only have the first fruits now. The full harvest is yet to come. 
There's incredible blessing for Christians here and now. In fact, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we have none of those blessings in their fullness until the end when Christ returns and that hope comes about in all its fullness. And so now we groan inwardly, verse 21, while we wait for the freedom and the glory of the children of God. When we're freed from the decay and the sufferings of this world and brought into the glory of the children of God, when Jesus comes and resurrects us and renews the whole creation. And it's verse 24, for this hope we were saved. We don't have it yet. It's coming. And so we wait for it patiently. That's the very nature of hope. Creation groans, but glory is coming. God's children groan, but glory is coming. And these things are profoundly intertwined. I don't know if you noticed the profound place that humanity has in this saga, in the cosmic scheme of things. Now, this astounds me. The whole cosmic drama is tied to the fate of humanity. The fate of the universe is tied to the fate of human beings because while when God originally created, he is the ruler over all things, he set us up as human beings to rule over his creation. But when we tried to throw off his rule, rebel against him and betray him, God brought judgment upon us as the rules of creation. We impacted the entirety of the creation that we rule, the context that we rule and in which we live. And so the judgment that comes on humanity comes on all of creation too. But it works in reverse in the positive as well. Have a look at verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. It's only when God's children are revealed in all their glory that creation also will be liberated and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Because of Jesus' death, those who have faith in him become his children and when he returns, God will bring his children into the fullness of being his children. They receive the inheritance and be seen in all their glory for all to see. And when this happens, the entirety of the universe will be renewed will be liberated and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God along with them. God's children recreated and so the whole creation recreated along with them. Humanity once again ruling the universe under God as his servants. Do you see the link? What happens to humanity has happened to the whole of creation. Humanity falls into groaning, creation falls into groaning. Humanity lifted into glory because of Jesus, the whole of creation lifted into glory because of Jesus. And notice that I keep saying it's because of Jesus because he's the one human. He is the one man who can make it happen because he is the only one who has come into our groaning universe and never sinned. He is a man like no other man. He is God become a man. A human like no other human, God become a human. And he lived the life that we could not live in perfect obedience to God. And he died the death that we deserve for our rebellion against God in order to save us and free us and lift us into glory and renew the whole created order into glory. We can't do it. Only the perfect man can. In the perfect setting of the garden, we humans ruined it all. But in the ruined setting of this world, this ruined creation, Jesus was perfectly obedient to God and saved us all. Jesus is not bringing about just merely a personal salvation for individual people, though he is doing that and that's absolutely crucial. 
but he is also bringing about a cosmic salvation for the entirety of the universe, a whole new creation. And those two things are intimately tied together. And so it's really important that you as an individual have Christ as your saviour so you're not shut out from the new creation for all eternity. Knowing this, knowing all this, how are Christians to live in this age of suffering and groaning in which we find ourselves? Well, three things, confidently, patiently, eagerly, confidently. Our hope as Christians is absolutely sure. This chapter, Romans 8, begins by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you get to the end of the chapter and it ends by saying there is no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then you will not be condemned and you will not be separated from God's love for you. This is a chapter about hope. This is a chapter about confidence. Christ has died to save us and has risen from the dead. We heard last weekend Easter. And he will return and resurrect us if we are God's children and give us new bodies without suffering or sin. And Romans 8 reminds us that this is certain and sure, even in suffering in this world. If you trust in Christ, if he is your Lord and Saviour, be confident. Your eternal future is secure, no matter how bad it gets here. Live confidently. Live patiently. It's hard to be patient in suffering, isn't it? It's hard to hang in there. But knowing the reality clearly presented in this passage, I think helps us enormously. Helps us to understand God is in control. It's not an accident and it's only for this era. And there's a new era of glory coming. God is in control and he has a plan for his children, groaning now, glory later. And God will bring it about. And so we're encouraged, be patient. Because verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in it. You can't compare the sufferings, the groanings of this world with the glories of the new creation to come. Oh, the sufferings of this world can be terrible, incredibly terrible. But no matter how terrible they are, they are not worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed. If you were to go, uh, I need to measure the sufferings of people's lives and you pulled out your 30 centimetre ruler and you, and you worked out, okay, uh, Mitch, he's experienced a 15 uh, centimetres worth of suffering. Uh, that person, they've experienced 25 centimetres worth of suffering. That person, well, that's a lot of suffering. You measure out the sufferings that each person has experienced in this age. But then you measure out the glories that are experienced in the age to come, the wonders of the new creation. Okay, get my 30, oh, the 30 centimetre ruler doesn't, it's not long enough. I need my one metre. No, no. Oh, I need my six metre tape measure. No, no. We need a scale that just goes on and on and on. There's no comparison. Um, the glories are so wonderful and great. Uh, there's a, and this is written by a guy who suffered greatly. The Apostle Paul, beaten, flogged, imprisoned, eventually executed for his Christian faith. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, he talks about the light and momentary troubles he experienced. And you've got to laugh because you think his troubles weren't light or momentary, but they are in light of the glories of eternity. In the new creation, in, in the eternal future, you will meet the man who dived into the water at the age of 18, broke his spine, and suffered as a quadriplegic for the rest of his life. In glory, you'll meet the woman who suffered terribly from lung cancer, was diagnosed when she'd just given birth to her second child, 
and over the next few years deteriorated rapidly and was dead before her kids went to school. In the new creation, you'll meet the child who was orphaned, spent years in care, abused brutally again and again. You'll, you'll meet the man who spent years for his Christian faith in a Russian prison camp, starved, beaten, abused. You'll meet the man who was burnt alive for his faith in Christ, the woman whose hands were crushed by soldiers because she would not let go of her Bible. They'll all be there in the new creation, in eternity, transformed because they trust in Jesus' Saviour. And you'll go up to them and you'll say, oh, you suffered so terribly. You suffered so terribly. And they'll respond, I barely remember it. It's nothing compared to the glories of the new creation. It was worth it a 100,000 times over. Wait confidently, wait patiently, and wait eagerly. Eager for glory, hungry for home, a hope that looks forward with excitement. Getting out of isolation will be nothing compared to this. We live in a season right now that can help us heaps in cultivating eagerness for glory, a hunger for heaven, if we let it. See, I heard someone say very helpfully, comfort covers the cracks of our broken world. The world's broken, the cracks are always there, but if you experience enough comfort, you can, you can plaster over them, you can cover over them. It's like those, um, those buildings that have been built recently, structurally unsound, there's cracks going on everywhere, but you get enough filler in there and you think they look okay. Comfort is the filler. Comfort covers over the cracks in the broken world, but the cracks are there and they're deadly. Isn't at this present moment, the, the, the cracks are there for all to see. A society who lives in such great comfort But now we can see more clearly for a moment than we've been able to in the past. A world is broken. A world is groaning. This is a great time for us to reflect on these things. The reality of groaning now and eagerness for glory to come, to develop a hunger for heaven. Can I encourage you to use your ISO time well? So you could come out of this time having a perfect lawn, a beautiful garden, your reno project's all done, Learn some new skills. Really good at surfing, had some great surfs. You've become so good at your computer games, you've crushed all your friends and foes. You've watched Netflix to death. You've learned to cook some new things. You've had great quality time with your family. You've retrained in your career. Or you've just barely survived with having your kids at home. Now, none of these things are bad things. But you could become so immersed in all these things, what you're actually doing is covering over the cracks again with comfort is focusing on this age and trying to suck up all the good things in this life rather than recognising the groanings that are here and the glory that is to come and developing a hunger for those. And if we do that, we've wasted our isolation. But it's also possible to use this time really well and to be like creation who in verse 19, it says, is waiting in eager expectation. Uh, Someone translated it, a bit of a paraphrase, is standing on tiptoe waiting for the new creation to be birthed. This whole creation is standing on tiptoe with eagerness waiting for the new creation to come, which is what we're to be doing, verse 23, waiting eagerly for our final adoption to sonship, standing on tiptoe, longing for the new creation and the final glorious revelation of our sonship to the universe. Creation groans, God's children groan, but glory is coming for both because of Jesus. So wait confidently, patiently, eagerly. Here are five wonderful truths 
uh, about our identity as Christians. It comes from the book Knowing God, but I've adjusted them slightly. Uh, I love them. God is my father. Jesus is my big brother. Every Christian is my brother or sister too. Heaven is my home and every day is one day nearer. Heaven is my home and every day is one day nearer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that because of Jesus our Saviour, you are our Father and heaven is our home and every day is one day nearer and glory awaits us despite the groanings of this age. We thank you that one day Jesus will return and when he does, he will renew us He will give us new and perfected bodies. He will reveal our sonship in all its fullness. He will renew all of creation. So help us now day by day to live in this age of groaning, waiting confidently and patiently and eagerly. Please help us to use this time now to fuel our passion for the new creation, to use our isolation well. And Father, we especially want to pray for those who don't yet know and trust Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Please, Lord, Draw them to turn to him as the only saviour. And in his name we pray. Amen.